It's Aspen Ideas to Go from the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson. Generation Z has grown up with regular school shootings, compounding evidence of climate change, a rise in hate incidents, and political gridlock through it all. Young people in America have good reasons to feel concerned about their future. It's hard to be hopeless when you're surrounded by people who consistently and on every turn channel um, anger and fear into action. Outraged high school and college students are not waiting around for the adults to tell them what to do. They're coming together and using their skills as digital natives to create new kinds of political education tools and tactics to reach their peers. Aspen Ideas To Go brings you compelling conversations hosted by the Aspen Institute. Today's discussion is from the Aspen Ideas Festival. Consider joining us in person this June at the Aspen Ideas Festival. Passes are on sale at aspenideas.org. Since 2020, the activist collective Gen Z for Change has been using social media in creative and edgy ways to push for political transformation. In today's conversation, two leaders of Gen Z for Change, Executive Director Aidan Con murphy and Digital Strategy Coordinator Sophia Angela, join John De La Volpe, an expert on polling and youth politics at Harvard. They talk about what motivates their work, where we've gone wrong, and how we can build more trust across generations. Washington Post tech columnist Taylor Lorenz moderates the conversation. Here's Lorenz. So I thought I would start off with the question uh, that we were all brought here to uh, sort of answer, which is um, how can we build trust across generations? And specifically, does anyone over the age of 25 deserve our trust? Why and why not? I'll start with you, Aiden. <laughs> Starting off easy. Um, How old so, are you, by the way? Aiden? Oh yeah, so I'm 18. I, I graduated from Georgetown Day School um, two, two weeks, weeks ago, and uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Um, and I, I think that that um, trust is is a complicated word where where there are absolutely adult allies who are over the age of 25 who, pr who provide and can lend the necessary support that we do not have as young people um, and can provide the resources to fuel the work that we're already doing. Um, and there is absolutely a lot to learn from older generations. Um, but the, the notion of, of trusting adults to, to solve everything and to fix the world is, is something that I think we have, uh, over time, definitely lost faith in. Sophia, what do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree. I also think that trust is a, is a I don't want to say a convoluted term, but it means a lot of different things, right? So it's like, um, I, it's leaning in, it's building relationships and all of that. And while I think that that's very important, there's also a lot that like, with our upbringing, you know, going through puberty on social media, which I hated a lot. And it was, I wouldn't say com a complete fault of my own. I think that like, the people running these tech companies, for example, like, as adults had the responsibility to protect us, right? So I think that there's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Like, they, there's more work that needs to be done. And I think that trust is substantially more earned than innately given? Uh, I, think, I think from my perspective, let's start with the data and the facts that show that basically like your parents, the grandparents' generations writ large, they don't 
trust you, nor do they really even like young people so much. For example, it's true. It's completely true. I would hope that my mom, my mom, my mom is a fan of mine. Of course. But I did a poll when we did like a general, like, do you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of the following people, institutions, and groups? And when we ask folks over the age of 50 their views of younger Americans, by a two to one margin, they have unfavorable views. In a recent poll I did earlier this year, only 40% of folks over 35 had trust in the next generation to solve these issues. So it's a, it's a two-way street, and I think um, like the purpose of my book was to try to be kind of an interpreter between the generations. And to, to establish trust and respect, I think that like, folks of other generations need to just appreciate the, the lived experience that Gen Zers have had. Um, they don't just want, uh, mm -hmm. like, they don't remember a time in their lifetimes when America was truly united, right? Um, Aiden and Sophia don't remember September 12th or September 13th. And while so many other generations have had tremendous chaos and trauma through their lived experience, of which I'm sure we'll talk about um, how that's impacted what you're into um, and, and, and pursuing, other generations still saw us come together. Baby boomers saw the moonwalk, Gen X saw US beat the Russians, the Olympics, and so many other things. Millennials actually saw September 12th and 13th. That's been robbed, and that's an important place, I think, to, to start in terms of the perspective of, of just appreciating the lifetime um, and the difficulties that you've had as a generation. If, um, if I can ask a question, um, uh, w w what I'm curious about is, is do you think She's that- She's in power right away. <laughs> um, do you think that this is unique to, to Gen Z and Gen X? Or like, because I, I feel like there is the general notion, like the lack of trust between the older generations and the younger generations throughout history in general with, with any developments. Do you, do you agree? Uh, I, I think I think that this is taken to a, a different level where there's just not mistrust, but as I said, like just negative feelings for a group with no real rationale kind of behind it, right? And um, and I just think it's so important to kind of again appreciate that um, you know just a few, just a few other statistics like that. 52% of folks in your generation several times in the last two weeks have dealt um, with feelings of hopelessness and depression in a significant way. 25% uh, say it's been so bad that they've thought of self-harm. 5% every single day. You know the work, obviously, that you've done around sexual violence, and uh, you know it's something that affects millions and millions of young people. So just the weight <laughs> beyond technology that this generation has had to deal with and then try to overcome is something that it's, it's difficult, I think, for parents you know, and mentors and just other members of the other generation to kind of get their heads around a little bit. And just the other statistic is, if you're a baby boomer or even an older Gen Xer, you could work one summer, summer job, minimum wage, cut grass or serve tables, and afford a year's tuition at a public or private <laughs> university. Right? Not that long ago, okay? Um, obviously not the case now. It takes four years to do the same thing, right? So just talking about this perspective, um, I think, um, hopefully can begin to establish some respect at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm interested in kind of like discussing that further because I think that the, the climate has changed so much. Um, speaking of stats, I'm pulling this from the Harvard Institute of Politics youth poll recently. Um, there's been a sharp increase in youth believing that, quote, political involvement rarely has tangible results. That's 36%. Um, and 42% felt that their vote wouldn't make a difference. Um, and 
a lot of people agree that politics today are no longer able to meet the challenges the country is facing. That's 56%. I was wondering if you guys could talk about like why that is and kind of why you guys have lost faith in the system and what some a, a politician could do to earn it back. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that it, it all depends on how you view your vote, where like, your vote as your only means to make a difference, th that is where I personally have lost faith. But when you view your vote as like one tool in your um, civic engagement toolkit, then like th that kind of gets you to a place where, where it is just the beginning of your involvement rather than the end. And so th the electoral system is not able to fix everything. Not to not to shock everyone here, um, but but it is it is one power that if you are lucky enough to live in a state where exercising it is is not basically impossible because of voter um, disenfranchisement, like then that is something that is important to use in addition to kind of all of these other tools um, that you have at your disposal. Which which do you want to talk more about what we? try to do? Yeah, we, we do a lot. I mean, I think another important note, I think, is that like a lot of Gen Z, I think I can speak for both Aiden and I when I say this, that like the presidency that we have the most memory of is Trump's, right? And that was when we saw at a young formative age that someone could win by three million votes and still not end up president. So we look at our votes and we're like, what is, what is actually happening? And the same that's happened with, of course, um, our Senate majority majority, so to speak, of course, um, that we're not able to get what we want done considering we went out and we voted in the numbers that we did. Um, with that being said, a lot of what Gen Z for Change does in particular is we use digital tools because that's what we're best at. Like, we know the internet better than everyone. Um, it's, it's, we, no grew, we grew up on the internet. I, like, I got on Google for the first time when I was five. Like, it's, it's really that simple. Um, but um, I'm a computer science major myself, so a lot of what I do and some of the work that we do at Gen Z for Change is coding websites and tools to allow people to streamline digital engagement. So we had, um, there was a tip line in Texas that would be to report people getting abortions after SB8 was um, passed. And what we did is we coded a script to spam it with lines from the B-movie and song lyrics. Was rendered unusable. <laughs> was rendered unusable. We did the same exact thing with um, the anti-CRT tip line that Governor Glenn Youngkin had made in Virginia following his um, election this past year. So I think I um, that's what the great thing about our generation is that like because of this slight distrust we go beyond just the voting just the ballot box there's also I will note and be cognizant of the fact that we vote in lesser numbers than previous than older generations and I think that part of that goes back to our civics education as well how like it stops at like vote not teaching people how to vote not teaching people like down ballot voting which is substantially more important than the larger elections like the midterms are up this year and midterms people vote substantially less than in um, the presidential election so i think making sure that we bridge that gap and that's what we're trying to do with our organization and john i guess like what would you, how, how have you seen this kind of shift over time um and this like loss of faith in the system and what do you think is leading to it yeah uh uh, Taylor, there's, uh, this is something that I've thought a lot about over the last um, several months when we, re when we released that survey. Um, over the last 21, so I've been studying young Americans for 21 years now, and there have been... Um, I'm 21. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, right? so the, student, 
<laughs> we're important. So, uh, but right, yeah. and, uh, I'll give you a little history lesson. Yeah. Uh, so there have been two opportunities in the last 21 years where those attitudes have changed about the efficacy of politics. Okay. Both times, six months later, we saw historic levels of participation, pre and post 9-11 for the millennial generation, and essentially pre and post the Trump administration. Okay? Um, now, and that led to, by the way, a doubling of youth participation in the 2018 midterms. So when baby boomers, when Gen Xers, and when millennials were young people, they voted at half the level in midterms that your generation voted at. Okay. That was my first election much, in 2018. Much more to go, okay? but you're already changing that. Similar thing happened in 2020. But what I think we're seeing, uh, Taylor, is perhaps um, uh, a new era of, of, of civic engagement where you can believe, as, um, as Aidan said, that politics has, the act of voting has less tangible results than perhaps we would like it to be, but people are still choosing to vote because you have to, because the urgency of the issues are so significant, and it's just one aspect of your overall mm -hmm. civic engagement. I do believe that that could be happening um, this summer and this fall, as long as everyone begins to talk about how it's just one piece and you can't stop at the voting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting back to mental health, um, you know, John, you're mentioning sort of, uh, you know, some of these horrifying stats about everything. I was shocked um, just at that 24% of people, I think, reported depression or hopelessness. 71% of young people agreed that there's a mental health crisis in America. What do you think it, it what is the cause of this? Because I feel like, you know, this was all despite the lifting of COVID restrictions. Um, there was basically no improvement in mental health. And certainly I feel like the narrative in the press was like, oh, well, it's lockdown that's led to this. But it seems like that's that's just not, you know, the, the, the factor kind of behind everything. Um, although I'm sure it was very hard for some people. What do you guys think is leading to this mental health crisis? And I, how do you cope? I think I think I would say that like, if you're if you're looking to understand why young people are so depressed, like, with all due respect, like, look around, <laughs> like maybe not here in Aspen because it's <laughs> because it's incredibly beautiful, but but like take a look at our country where where we have grown up in what feels often like a dystopia, and where like most of our of our childhood and young adulthood has been defined by by the Trump administration um, now Roe v Wade being overturned like these are these are the main issues that our that, that are on our, our our political conscious and I think that and I think that especially with social media you you can't escape these things which can be viewed as for better or for worse um, I think it's for better because these like these tragedies are, and these terrible events are happening, and they have always been happening. And now we are just having much better visibility into them. Um, and so I think that that is one part of it. And I think, I think that the way that I um, avoid kind of giving in and being hopeless um, is the team of people that I work with and the, the generation that that I'm a part of, um, because it is, it's hard to be hopeless when you're surrounded by people who consistently and on every turn channel um, anger and fear into action. And I think that, th that that source of inspiration makes it impossible to kind of, to accept 
the hopelessness that 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 kind of is always on our on our minds. Yeah, I feel like a lot of our formative years have been marked by tragedy. Like three three or four months before the lockdown started, there was a school shooting at my sister's high school. And um, of course, that like upended our lives in many ways. But the other thing, going back to Aiden's point, the sense of community, I was as disgusting and dystopian as it sounds, I was able to go to another of my friend whose siblings survived a school shooting and was like, how do I deal with this, right? So we had, we're the school shooting generation, climate change is consistently upending our lives. I've, my, California, where I live, has been in a drought since I was seven. I don't know what rain and green looks like. So this is the craziest environment for me to be in, personally. Like, it's the most green I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, when I go to New York City, I'm like, oh my god, trees, and that's New York City. Um, anyways, point being that um, I think that much to Aiden's point, right when we got the the draft of the, the Roe release, we got into Zoom and we started working. We were on Zoom until maybe, it was 10 p.m. my time, so I don't know what time it was yours. Um, but we, sometime at like 10 p.m., we wanted to like, uh, care for ourselves. This idea of self-care, which I, people, some people say that Gen Z is soft or whatever, but I feel like that is how we're able to preserve our wellness when there's so much tumultuous news constantly, and we're always consuming that news with social media. So we um, did Just Dance really quickly, and then went back to work. Um, which if you don't know what Just Dance yeah, is, um, it's, Just Dance is a Wii game where you you dance. And there's like YouTube videos. It's very it complicated. It's, it's not that complicated. <laughs> you dance, you follow along. It's a relaxing activity. Um, the point is, is that it's, it's just like the, even in these, because like f doing the just dance um, to I forget what song it was. I think Toxic it was by Britney Spears. Toxic by Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah. The like like as a break from from three hours or four hours of work around around like the row release like was the craziest feeling because we were all horrified, we were all shocked, um, well, but not surprised, yes. and in fear, but we just persisted because that's what we had to do and we, and we, and we danced, we just danced. Yeah, and to, to contextualize further, Aiden and I met for the first time earlier this year? Was it this year? Yeah, like the majority of Gen Z, for, not the majority, basically all of Gen Z for Change has met online. We've created these communities online. We are all from different cities and are located all across the entire country. So that is one of the, the great takeaways from social media is that we're able to create community that transcends <laughs> borders in a way that I don't think has ever been done before. And I think that's one of the things that have kept us the most sane in these crazy times. If I could add, one of the things, I would, so the question was like, what is, driving the anxiety and the depression and the stress of your generation. Um, we didn't mention really technology in the phone, which was all a, generally, a lot of adults say, it's just the phone, it's just the phone, it's just the phone, right? What I discovered in 2017 when I started, you know, um, uh, talking to young people, I, I would ask the same questions uh, for the previous 15 years, but in 2017, a couple months after the Trump administration, the answers were very different. What connects us? fear, anxiety, et cetera. And for the first time, I think, which is a difference between your generation and others, is the weight of the public policy issues in the news that is adding the additional stress that already includes homework, personal relationships, identity, all the other things that all adolescents have had to go through. And I think getting back to your other point about civics, the fact that we're not teaching civics, the fact that we're afraid in too many classrooms to have a conversation about the issues that you're talking about drives people to be concerned, depressed, maybe hopeless, 
drive some people to search online in a small fraction, but an important number, into places that are very, very dangerous. Uh, because we're not willing to have conversations, not about Biden or Trump or whatever, but about climate, about inequality, about systemic racism, those sorts of things. And, and, and it feels in, like, insane to say, but, but like, Republicans are actively making like, those specific like, adolescent issues so much harder, where, where if you're in Florida, which like, a lot of our team is, um, our, our political strategy associate led the, the walkouts in Florida over um, the Don't Say Gay bill, where if you are like, dealing with something as a young person and you're dealing with your identity and you have grown up in a community where, where you don't have someone to talk to, um, but you feel safe talking to someone at school, like now, we, as, and, and we're seeing these restrictive laws being passed all, all across the country, like you can't seek that support from, from your teachers like, like you kind of could in the past. And, and it's, 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 almost, it's, it's, it's hard to even contextualize how, how it's just like, it's, it's almost like you want to say to these lawmakers, like, why are you, you, you are just making it harder to be a young person in a time when it is already so hard. And it, it's, it's hard to even wrap my mind around. Aiden, just one, we're, we're, for last little stat here, but it's important once again on the table. After a period of stability from 2000 to 2012 or so around uh, youth suicide, when Gen Zers turn into adolescents, 15, 16 years old, there was a 47% increase, 47% increase in the number of, of deaths by suicide among young people across every single state in America. Mm -hmm. I think actually part of that goes back to social media, and I, I, I'm not like a, it's the phones type person, but um, social media companies, simply, I mean, at least at that point, did not care what we were consuming. Because I got on social media at, in 2011, when I was 11, mm. um, and like the things that I was taking in, and the things that a lot of people were taking in, there was a lot of content glorifying eating disorders, glorifying mental health disorders, glorifying suicide. And people were actively posting about these things, and we were consistently taking this in like it was nothing. That has completely changed the way that so many of us think, not only about ourselves, but about the world at large, and the way that our brains function, because it's, it's, our brains are still porous at that age. So for these, and I think it goes back to this conversation about trust, where it's like we um, inherited such a strange world, and back to Aiden's point now, we, we can't even, we're not even legally allowed to, at least in Florida, talk to teachers about issues of identity. How are we supposed to maintain that trust? Mm -hmm. it, it seems borderline impossible <laughs> at times. I was wondering if there are any kind of famous figures or politicians that you guys think that are a little bit older that have done a really good job of building trust among young people. I will, I will, uh, I'll say Jamie, Congressman Jamie Raskin, who I am, who, so I'm from Washington DC, um, and we, can, we kind of consider him our, our de facto voting um, representative in Congress, no offense to Eleanor Holmes Norton. Um, <laughs> But, um, but I think that, 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 that what, what Congressman Raskin does with his um, uh, uh, democracy now or summer program um, is like empower young leaders. And it's done in a, and like there's a lot to be learned from how certain politicians are going about this where it is, you're not entering a conversation with the mindset of, Young person, I am going to teach you something. You will internalize it and move forward. It is, it is like we will offer the 
the learnings that we have gathered and then we will listen to you to create a more productive future because if things if if all of these learnings were perfect then things would not be so terrible. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that, that that is really important, that we enter this, this intergenerational dialogue with um, like both expecting and ready to learn from, from the other generations, rather than expecting just to, to, to teach. Yeah, I think it's the people who, um, I'm trying to think of specifics, but it is very difficult. At least people who, people who other people know. There's a new person on our organization, Jeremy, who is, I have no idea how old he is, but he's a, a person who um, Aiden had known in the past, and it's like when we have these conversations about what we're doing within the organization, it's not like a, he's talking for us, he's talking with us, right? Like actively, like we all have equal seats at the table, not that like, while he knows more than us about these different areas, he's taking us in and cares about our, um, all of our ideas and all of our perspectives as if they were also his own. And there's also like places like this where it's like, it's kind of rough to be a young person here because you don't really see yourself, um, at, at Aspen at least. And I was at a speaker's reception the other day and like no one would talk to me, but Rob and his wife came up to me. Um, and we're like very kind, like initiated conversation. I think that's another thing, like leaning in to conversation with young people where it's not like, again, you're not talking down to them, you're talking with them, which is incredibly important and makes us feel substantially more heard in the conversation and, that and we have. Because there's a lot of like support that young people do need from other generations. Like with Gen Z for Change, I didn't want to file our 501c4 incorporation paperwork. <laughs> I don't want to file our taxes. I don't know how to do that. I just graduated high school. I don't want to have to do that. Um, and so, like, there are these there are these things that that um, we look for adult expertise in, um, and that includes like learning how to fundraise properly and learning how to work with more established organizations while keeping our own like values always like at the at the at the front of our minds and so there is and i and i think that, that that john does a great job of of like listening to young people and trying to communicate those ideas especially to older generations in in a way that that is more palatable well, you're doing that right now in, in showing by example your willingness to collaborate you know, with, with, with others. Um, that's something that far, far few um, leaders really appreciate. And I think there's this opportunity for you to be mentored, you know, but also for you to kind of mentor up. Right? Mm -hmm. Every organization on the planet would love the skills that you have mm -hmm. about so many things, TikTok just being one of them, right? Mm -hmm. or, or the passion of how you think, um, Aiden, how you kind of connect all the dots around civic engagement. Every organization uh, could benefit from that as they're trying to recruit and retain the next generation of employees. So I just think there's a tremendous amount of, uh, of opportunity for everyone around collaboration. So John, you just wrote this book on Gen Z. I'm curious, what surprised you the most? Like, were there, was there anything that you were like, huh? Oh, that, that's a uh, that's a big question. I, I think like the most the most gratifying thing um, for me has been the outpouring, relatively speaking. It's my you know, uh, uh, but of, of of interest among parents, among older people. Um, Almost a day doesn't. I, barely a day goes by where I don't get a text of something from someone who, who wants, who feels responsible for the shape of the world today. They want to find ways to to help. 
So that's been a really gratifying thing that I could never have expected. Um, I think that's one thing, seeing that from other parents who do want to help. Um, the other thing is, as I've been talking about um, this book on college campuses and other places, I found like a lack of confidence in younger people, right? When, before they know what I'm gonna talk about, I'll ask a student and they'll say, um, I said, well, uh, you know, I, I talk about, you know, generations and they say, oh, we suck, Gen Z sucks, you know, we're always on our phones, we, we're this, we're that, and I said, why do you, you know, that's what our professors say, and that's what the media says. I said, listen, if not for younger people, if not for you guys, um, Donald Trump is president today. Today, we don't have our first African-American woman on the Supreme Court. You know, climate is further rolled back. There's not a response to Evaldi, et cetera, that your generation has already made a significant change. Um, without, without, without a doubt, the big five states uh, that, were, that were the battleground states, um, if not for young people choosing Biden by over 20, 21 points on average, Donald Trump wins. He won the vote of everybody over the, over the age of 40. So this generation has already had, made a tremendous impact. And I think they need to understand the mm -hmm. power. And that's what you're doing, and, right? And, 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 that's why, and that's why we're always very focused on deliver, like on, because we, we can say these massive numbers about, about our coalition uh, reaches more people than MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News combined every single day. We, we, we can say that. We can say, uh, um, but it's... It's often hard for people to understand how that like translates in, into action, and so that that is where like our tangible real world change making comes in. Where like in Texas, like the fact that the pro life whistleblower um, tip line was taken down, like that is a, a a tangible benefit to abortion seekers in Texas, and and kind of our our, our work um, our work around. Uh, to support Starbucks unionization efforts where we've developed tools that over 140,000 people have used to send in false job applications um, to specific Starbucks locations where they're trying to hire scabs for... Um, in place of the union organizers. Yeah, in place of, of union organizers. Where like there are these tangible differences that we feel like we have made that, that we kind of try to use to prove the legitimacy of these tools, and I think that that when it comes to like support, because that's the question that like we get the most often is like, what can we do to, do to support? Um, and it gets to a complicated place where like the answer might not always be exactly what people want. Where the answer is like supporting young people, and also knowing and knowing when to to defer to young people and to give them the resources to do the work, um, and I think that that is something that is, is developing, and we'll, we'll see where that goes. Awesome, well, I wanna make time for some questions. Um, so does anyone out here have Heather? Looks like you raised your hand right up in front. I think he's gonna come over with a mic. I'm always interested in thought leaders that activate, and we're seeing you at a very young age being an impressive um, speaker, and you're, we have an impressive bio. But what led to your, what are the experience, personal experiences that you had that led you to create the idea for, for Gen Z Activate? Or what, what were the first initial steps that you took? Yeah, I, I did not set out to create an organization. I set out to 
organize a phone bank for Biden in, in September of 2020. And it turns out that relational organizing is a very, very powerful tool. Um, and so like when I was recruiting my friends who were other TikTok creators, um, it, 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 it snowballed to, to I thought we were gonna have 10 creators, it ended, ended up being 500 creators. And w when I realized this should be more than a phone bank. And I think that, that always like thinking, I, I've never allowed myself to, to get lost in thinking too far in advance because then you just lose focus on, on actually how you get there. And so I think that like my mentality is focus on, focus on today, and be conscious of, of tomorrow and what, it's, what we're setting up. Um, and, and also, like, never losing focus on working with others. Because I, there, I, I mean, I think we all do. And I, I think I have, there's, I have so many blind spots. And there is so much that I have to learn. Um, and I think that, that within Gen Z for Change, there, like, it is so collaborative where we are all working together all the time and and decision making always so far has has been unanimous where where we all through discussion like find things that we agree on and it's created a sense of community that i think is hard to cultivate next question oh we've got a bunch <laughs> i'll go with you rob here <laughs> Very impressive what you've built. I'm curious as you look to the future with your organization, what type of help do you need? Where do you see the organization three, five, ten years from now? And what kind of help do you need from the outside to facilitate that? I'll do the second part. Do you want to do the first part? You're the executive director. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that. I'll, 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 think about, I'll think about the future. Um, I, I think that, that I kind of, like, my mentality is... We have an amazing team of activists, like, like on the ground activists, um, digital activists. Um, and as long as we continue to build this collaborative working, in, like working environment and we hold true to our values, then we will end up in a place that we are happy with. And there is, of course, like some, some specific down the line thinking that we have about, about um, registering young people to vote and longer term partnerships that, that, that we want to do. But I think that, that to answer the second part, when it comes to support, um, it is honestly a matter of, of um, and I, I hate to do a little, a little funding pitch here, um, but, but the thing do is, it. Do it. I'll do it. but there is, as many of you know, not a lot of money in the, in the youth nonprofit space where we have, um, have been uh, like doing this work for, for now, uh, like two years, like two years, which in, which in terms of our lifetime, it feels like a lot. Um, 10% of my life. <laughs> and we, we only were able to start paying people, um, like our core leadership team, like 20 an hour about a week ago. And everyone is putting in like full-time or, or high-level part-time jobs where, where everyone is a student and has an additional job. Like the, we try to make the work as accessible as possible and we're all in it. We know we're all in it for the right reasons, but the barriers to, to accessing these, these, these opportunities means that people can spend a lot of time on Gen Z for Change, but then 
there's a ton of schoolwork they have to do, and then they have to go to their job as a as a cashier or a tutor or a door dasher, um, and that is, to be honest, the the main source. Um, of support that we need. If I may add, Aiden also has refused to take any pay until all of us get paid because he's amazing and selfless. Um, so there's, a, yeah, I would clap for that. He's, he's great. Um, yeah, I think that, um, like, it, back to his point, I feel like a lot of us, if we could, we would do all of this work full time. And the fact of the matter is that there's also just like not that much money in it. A lot of us are also political creators on TikTok. Brands will not touch you if you talk about politics at all. So we only get funding from smaller nonprofits when we are creating um, uh, videos, if any of you know about the influencer economy, a lot of brands now are reaching out to influencers to have them do the advertisement for them. So now we can still speak out about social issues and get a little bit of funding, but we still have to have like multiple jobs on the side and stuff. And we do really, especially with the midterms, want to be doing this work full time because there is so much work to be done. Like it's, I feel like personally speaking, the midterms are easily like one of the most horrifying things to me right now because it's like we're on this teeter-totter between like maybe being okay and like fascism and authoritarianism, which doesn't feel very cool as a youth. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it, the greatest support, I mean, listening to us, of course, funding is helpful too. Um, yeah. Awesome. That's okay. a little pitch thing. We're going to try and get through all them. Okay, you, uh, in the blue, or well, I'll, do, we'll do both of you guys. We'll do you first and then you. Sorry, I pointed both of you. And then you Thank you. And I got to ask you guys both questions earlier in today's session. Um, I wanted to build off, actually, off of Sophia's point, which was um, certain funders won't touch what you guys do because of who you are. I'm curious, a lot of your tactics and what makes your campaign so brilliant is how unorthodox they are and how much they kind of push the limits of what's you know, kind of legal <laughs> limits in some ways. <laughs> I'm curious, as you have gained prominence and you get invited to spaces like this, do you feel pressure at all to clean up your act or act in a certain way or become more polished for the sake of your elders in a way that you think might influence or impact your work? The I'd say yes. It's, I mean, uh, uh, Taylor and I had a conversation about this yesterday in your meeting, just, just initially, um, and there's this um, idea that youth, especially activist youth, people who have done a lot of great things as young people have to like, just be like mini adults. Like, like we don't have fun and like go on sleepovers and stuff. Like we're still like, we're still young, we're still kids and all those things. Um, I feel a slight need to polish myself up, but I also feel like when I do that, I concede a part of my identity, like the scrappy part of myself that wants to do things in a little bit of a crazier way. I will add that everything I do is legal. I have looked it up. <laughs> we are branded by legal counsel. I <laughs> am not trying to get arrested, not in my agenda um, um, at all, but right. yeah. But, but, but uh, yeah, I, I, think it, I think it's just about, about like, we're, we're, not, we're not trying to do things that, that organizations have done in the past. We're trying to do our own thing. We're trying, and like, well, we're of course listening um, and learning. We're like, we are happy and proud to be disruptors because that's what, that's what has worked for us, and that's what we know our, our, where our biggest value comes from. Next question right here, and then we'll get... It, it's not a question. I'll make it very brief. Uh, Sophia and Aiden, God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, as an adult, uh, you know, um, we just, it gives me so much hope that there are folks like you willing to get involved. I don't agree with everything that you've said today. I would encourage you to be open-minded. There are Republicans and conservatives who are solid citizens and good people. I don't we, disagree. We, we need to be careful <laughs> not to group people uh, with labels um, and uh, to look at the individuals, but I just really want to express my gratitude uh, to both of you. Even though I don't agree with everything, I am thrilled that you're doing <laughs> what you're doing. Thank, Thank you. Building <laughs> yeah. trust, I love it. Oh, we'll just do um, back in the white, or in the, sorry, in, in the black and then the white. 
Oh, sorry, <laughs> I keep pointing at groups of two. <laughs> um, as someone who considers themselves an elder, <laughs> um, my contemporaries all agree that we grew up in the best of times, post-World War II, to, uh, up until 9-11. And, and we agree that it is harder for the younger generation, for our children and our grandchildren, to move forward in today's world. It's harder for them to, to buy homes near where they work. It's, it's, it's generally tougher today. And, but, you know, time goes on. And someday, you guys are gonna be where we are. And why, how do you think the, the, the younger generation is gonna view you? As you now, you don't trust at the older generation, will the younger generation, when you're grown up, will they trust you? The question for people that didn't hear is, yes, <laughs> will, the young, will the generation after you guys trust you? No, and that's okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I can make peace with that. I, I, I think it's just about accept, like accepting that that part of this is is cyclical and and it, and it does repeat. And I hope that 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 it, that if that our generation, when we get there, keeps in mind the mentality that we have now and supports the younger generations. In the white here. <laughs> The uh, social media has so many positive benefits, but it has so many frightening negative attributes, bullying and anonymity and the spreading of falsehoods and conspiracy theories. If you all could fix that in social media, what would be your fix? Ooh, Government wow. regulation. Okay. Well, there's very specific legislation that could be passed. The California Kids Code, for example, I'm from California. There is an issue where targeted advertisement is sending kids down these rabbit holes, like for example, the eating disorder content. That is many times given through this, these algorithms, these faceless algorithms that are being coded by one or two people who do not represent the general public, right? So the California Kids Code, the goal is to ensure that um, the design of these platforms have the people first, namely the young people first, people who are using this multiple hours every single day. Additionally, I do data harvesting is a very, very large issue. Like, let, let's take into account January 6th, for example. They mobilized on Facebook, a platform that did not have enough government oversight, in my opinion, um, where they were, because of the targeted advertisement, the algorithms, based on one thing that they clicked, they would go deeper and deeper into the same content, right? Sorry, I'm a computer science major. I'm trying to like not get too techy here. <laughs> but, um, Point being, I think the government has a very core responsibility to ensure that disinformation does not get to the point where it begins to incite violence, which has happened many, many times. This was the same thing that happened with the Buffalo shooter, radicalized online. And I think that the sooner that we have the right amount of oversight and um, <coughs> accountability for tech companies, like a genuine, like, fines and issues with the things that they've created, especially like the tumultuous times they've created in our lives, the sooner we'll get to a place where social media actually serves everyone. John, any final thoughts on that? Just to wholeheartedly agree, but also, how about banners if you need help? If you have a question, mm -hmm. if you want someone to talk to, mm -hmm. that could just be throughout all the content. Because as we said, there are tens of millions of young Americans looking for that, mm -hmm. looking for that help. Amazing. Well, we are out of time. Thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you, Aiden, Sophia, John. Great. Aiden Con Murphy is founder and executive director of Gen Z for Change. 
He's led partnerships with the White House, the Biden Campaign, Harvard's Institute of Politics, Climate Power, Accountable Tech, and more. He and Gen Z for Change have been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Wired, and several other publications. He's also a freshman at Harvard University. Sophia Angela is Digital Strategy Coordinator for Gen Z for Change. Previously, she developed the app Read-On to support survivors of sexual violence. Angela has also taught over 140 underrepresented peers how to code through Code with Classy programs. A TikTok creator, she shares her digital creations, life experiences, and socio-political takes with almost 300,000 followers. John De La Volpe is Director of Polling at Harvard Kennedy School's Institute of Politics. He's also the founder of SocialSphere, a public opinion and analytics company. An advisor on youth and politics, he most recently served as pollster and strategic communications advisor to Joe Biden's 2020 campaign. He's the author of Fight, How Gen Z is Channeling Their Passion and Fear to Save America. Taylor Lorenz is a columnist at the Washington Post covering technology and online culture. Prior to this, she was a technology reporter for the New York Times Business Section and a technology reporter at The Atlantic and The Daily Beast. If you were inspired by this conversation, we invite you to experience the Aspen Ideas Festival in person this June. Register today at aspenideas.org. Today's show was programmed by the Aspen Ideas Festival team and produced by Natalie Jones and me. Our music is by Wonderly. I'm Trisha Johnson. Thanks for listening. Thank you.